Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to Redemption Tempe Podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. My name is Warren Williams, and today I'm joined by ministry intern AC, a staple on the podcast. AC, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. There we go, there we go. And today we have a special guest with us, a special contributor, Mr. John Crawford. John, can you just give us a brief uh, introduction, man? Tell us, tell the people who you are, man. Yeah, I'm John Crawford. I am the Director of Communities at Redemption Tempe, working with RCs, overseeing uh, what we're doing with communities. Yes, sir. I'm a pastoral resident at Redemption as well. Yeah, John, it's uh, really a pleasure to have you here, and I'm really looking forward to um, your contributions to this podcast as we get into First Peter. But um, like I always start with um, on our podcast, you know, we don't just jump right in. We like to just have a little fun with it before we get into it and just get your mind running and just uh, hopefully, you know, help you to see things through a different light. Right. So our question for today, um, there is an old meme on the Internet somewhere that shows Jesus and disciples on the basketball court with the air Abrahams on. And the caption reads, <laughs> in a lively game of basketball, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times like Mutombo no 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 (laughs) (laughs) obviously this is not biblical it's a humorous take on a well-known episode in Peter's life Um, if social media had been around during the time of Jesus which of Peter's actions in the New Testament would have been would have been most likely to go viral I would say I'll just start it off like him probably trying to walk on water actually walking on water all right and then like losing his way because like you know he kind of lost sight of Jesus that would have been so, a mis- I think what, that would have went what format right. would that be on Instagram would it be on Facebook How would you know that- what it it seemed like a short uh, occurrence yeah. so probably a short Instagram video yeah. Instagram <laughs> live Instagram, Instagram really live in the story or something <laughs> like that but uh, or maybe a Snapchat you know if that's your flavor so uh, that's a real short story but you know regardless a short video that would definitely would have been miraculous you know for so many reasons but AC which one of Peter's uh, 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 I guess events that have happened in his life that were told in the scripture would have gone viral in the social media age there's a Twitter meme out right now it might be old by now but um, where it says the the caption will say life comes at you fast okay and then what they do is they screenshot someone's tweets okay and so someone will tweet something like I would never send my kids to homeschool. <laughs> and then like a year later they tweeted, oh, I love homeschool. And then it says life comes at you fast. So I think- uh, <laughs> It's true, it's true. And like, you know, we can say those things in life sometimes and you know, it, it can be maybe forgotten. But once it's on the internet, yeah, man, it's, it's, there. it's there, it's there. It's, like be mindful of what you post <laughs> yeah. online because you may think you've scrubbed it clean, but you know, someone else could have been tagged in the picture. So it's still alive. For, like, you know, once it's out there on the internet, it, it, can, it can be out there almost permanently. My confidence has just been shattered. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Think, I think when Peter denied Jesus, I feel like you, you'd have that meme, right? So it would say, life comes at you fast. And then it would have a tweet of Peter saying, I will never deny Jesus. Right. And then screenshots of three tweets denying him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What about you, John? Man. I think it depends on the audience that's posting this social media, but man, I want to say when Jesus was foretelling his death and resurrection and Peter kind of, you know, steps in uh, and Jesus is like, 
get behind me Satan. Right, right, like, I right. feel like that'd be a good meme, you know, that would be going around. Get definitely, behind me Satan. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, just reading that is such an intense moment. You can feel yeah. the intensity behind that moment. So, yeah, I, I definitely I, agree I wonder, with coming like, from there. Which of the things that we read in the Bible, like, became inside jokes for the disciples? Mm. Like, if later on they're, like, chilly eating fish and right. like, hey, Satan, can you go, like, give me that fish? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I love that you do that because I think a lot of times when we read scripture, we just imagine these, like, or envision these, like, stoic men who yeah. never shared a laugh. <laughs> so, like, they never joked. They never made jokes. It was solely about sharing the gospel. No other yeah. time about... You know these guys were jokes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bunch yeah. of yeah. rugged fishermen. Yeah. Oh, tent yeah. makers. Yeah. It'd be like listening to the conversations in a car mechanic shop. You know exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, uh... I wonder what yours would be for those who are listening, but I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of events that did occur in Peter's life, which I'm sure would go viral. So uh, there's a lot to choose from there, but let's get into it. We've been talking about Peter. So let's discuss who exactly was Peter. AC, tell us who, who this man was. So this dude was a fisherman from Galilee named Simon. Okay. Um, later, Jesus renames him Peter, uh, uh, Kephas in the Greek. Uh, or not the Greek, sorry, uh, Aramaic, I think, but it means the rock. And then uh, when you translate it into Greek, um, it comes out to uh, Petros. Yeah, so that's what, that's what I, I, I appreciate your your like your need to be accurate there because most of us were like, yeah, like I mean, I, I doubt there's a Greek scholar listening to this. <laughs> right. like, excuse hey, me. Hey, there might not be a Greek scholar, but there's an Aramaic scholar listening. <laughs> yeah, Saint John is listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Ace. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead, man. No, you good. Yeah. Uh, so he, he was a leader among the church in the early days. Later on, he went on the road, take the gospel around the world. Um, scholars believe that he wrote this decades into that later endeavor. So when you think of Peter, and it's easy to think of Peter and you think like you imagine one static person in your mm. mind, like whether it be like a 30-year-old all the time or whatever. But when you read the Gospels, Peter's a little bit younger there. Hmm. When you read these first and second Peter, you're, this is an older man now talking with uh, decades of ministry experience having followed the Lord. Well, how can that be? Every time we see Peter, he's got this full beard. He looks like... <laughs> 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 no, but it's it's, it's really... Uh, uh, I think it's that's a really important point to point out because, you know, a lot of times like, how can Peter do this? But he's, he's young, you know, he's young in the faith, which is obviously brand new and yeah mm -hmm. like i mean we think back to our younger days how many mistakes did we make right so yeah. Yeah, um real. it's easy to point at peter and say we'll never do that but you know there's things that we say we would you never do and, like peter said. yeah exactly exactly so we we always ask this question and we want to make sure that we're keeping things within the proper context where does first peter fit into the true story ac so we know the the general categories of the story God created the world and it was all good. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 through 11, the fall is described. And it's a worldwide cataclysmic event that's, that uh, subjects all of creation to suffering, to brokenness, decay, and death. Um, Genesis chapter 12, God begins a mission by choosing Abraham. And through Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The curse would be reversed. Mm. So... Abraham's descendants are in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt and then gives them a land, gives them the law, gives them liberty from slavery. Uh, and then uh, they have everything they need to complete their mission, their mm. objective, which is to make God known among the nations. Um, but they fail horribly in that. Um, and then they're left wondering, is God done with us? Will he come back? 
uh, will he restore the kingdom? Um, and then you have a lot of uh, a lot of like apocalyptic literature that's written, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. And then Christ comes on the scene, fulfilling Israel's calling to reverse the curse, to bring back blessing across the world, to restore all of creation, to inaugurate and usher in the kingdom. And then when he does that, he regathers his God's people brings the Gentiles into this community, mm. creates a new contrast community, and then sends them out into the world. And this is big, and this is where First Peter makes sense and, and what Peter's talking about. Because it's a new challenge. Back in the day in the Old Testament, they had their own nation, except for you know when they went to Babylon and they were, they were a distinct community. Right. But they always believed that was just temporary. And... For the most part, they had their own nation, so they weren't a persecuted minority. They and they didn't have to live in another culture. Hmm. It was just Jewish culture. And they equated being God's people with Jewish culture yep. so much that when Gentiles started coming into the faith, people started saying, well, do they have to be Jewish? Right. Or can they be Gentile? Like, what does it look like when the gospel goes into other cultures? Hmm. And the answer to that question is one of the things that happens when the gospel goes into a culture is it will affirm the good things of that culture, but then it will resist the idolatrous, yeah. evil parts of that culture. And when that happens, suffering usually yeah. happens too. Yeah. There's usually suffering, persecution, conflict. conflict. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you push against the idols of the culture, those idols and the people who perpetuate those idols are going to push back. And in the early church, when they pushed back, people were dying. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so Peter is writing this, and this is where we're at in the story of what does it look like to be this contrast community in other cultures that are potentially hostile to the gospel? Yeah, and I think that's, that's just so important. I mean, we've talked about it before that, you know, for centuries, right, what the Jewish people had was their culture. So now they're, you know, the, the Gentiles are grafted in and there is that tension of like, what do we do here? Like, what do we hold on to? Do they have to do this? You know, that's how the whole uh, circumcision, you know, debate started, right? Or discussion started, like, what do we, how do we allow these people to be a part of this now? So um, it, it, it's really uh, an, an important piece to really grasp. Um, so we're still here in the epistle section of the New Testament. You know, in a previous podcast, we went through Corinthians and uh, Colossians. And, um, you know, so we're still in that section. Um, what is unique about uh, these, this epistle? And um, what should we keep in mind as we uh, read First Peter? So how do the, the previous epistles also play into how we're reading First Peter, John? Yeah, man, I, I think with the epistles, with that genre of literature uh, specifically, um, obviously, we're in the New Testament, and really, they're they're drawing out the importance mm. and the significance, not only the, the significance, but the game the game changing event that's the turning point of history mm. of Christ's death and resurrection. That these events uh, have changed the course of world history, mm. and so it's important to remember when you're reading the epistles that, especially with with Peter, his argument is centered on those events hmm. and so he's looking back at what christ has accomplished in his death and also resurrection and so that that is a massively important 
versus when we were in the Old Testament. Obviously, we now know that the Old Testament was pointing forward to Christ. Right, right. The epistles and the New Testament were looking back at Christ. And and one of the themes which we're going to get to uh, here, obviously, AC's talked about the suffering, but then also uh, the call to holiness and the way that the way that God's people are supposed to live. Um, and as we see, what Peter's doing here in this letter um, in the epistle is he is drawing on the death and resurrection of Christ as the motivation mm. for holiness. And so it's not just that there's a bunch of rules and laws and obediences for no reason, but he's actually saying, hey, the motivation is the gospel. Like that Jesus died, was raised from the dead, and now as his people living as this attractive community, this is how you ought to live. And there's the motivation is always because of what Christ has done. Wow. Yeah. And uh, AC, can you, you know, we've talked about this before. A lot of times we'll read, uh, you know, scripture or the New Testament and kind of see it as like, oh, Paul is doing systematic theology. So can you kind of touch right. on the, the occasional nature as opposed to systematic theology? Yeah. So epistles are occasional hmm. and doesn't mean that they're written every now and then. Like I've told that joke a thousand times. <laughs> <Never gets laughs> but it means that there's an occasion that uh, that brought about the writing of the letter. Right. So uh, a good thing to remember is that theology is always like formed on the ground. Mm. You yeah. know, um, mm. the you know, when you when you read the epistles and you read these theological statements that the authors make, whether it be Paul and his beautiful Christology in Philippians 2, or whether it be 1 Peter, where Peter, he, you know, he talks about, um, about Christ in, in a very, like, powerful way. Um, the temptation is to think that, like, these writers are listing things that we need to believe and things that we need to do. Hmm. That, that, that the Bible is a series, and the epistles is a, is a place where we get in this trap of treating the Bible like a list of propositions and promises. Mm. These are statements of fact, and these are commandments to do. Right. Yeah. You know, whereas actually, these are letters written from one party to another, addressing a situation that they both know about. Right. Um, and so when you are reading the epistles, you always have to ask, what was going on? A good commentaries, the introductions to commentaries are a great resource. They can recreate the historical situation. Um, the Bible Project videos are yeah. great too. Yep. Or if you're one of the ones you're like, nope, I don't want help. I want to do it on my own. Well, you can pray, ask the Holy Spirit. And then when you read through the epistle, just every time Peter mentions himself or mentions the audience or mentions a specific issue, jot that down and then piece all the clues together, which is basically what the scholars do anyway, as along with other archaeological evidence. Yeah, I mean, like we've been saying on this podcast repeatedly, context, 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 right? Yes. That is what's going to help us to not uh, make Scripture do things it wasn't intended to do. Right, and always ask. Yeah. What was how, how would the original audience have understood this? Right. And the yeah. reason why is because it's written in different time and culture, so there's some differences. We know that when it comes to weird passages. When hmm. we're like, um, greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just everyone knows we didn't do that when we all came together no, today. There were no holy kisses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even give Ricardo a hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, um, 
the thing is, is that we know that when there's weird things that go on, like when it talks about women praying with coverings and stuff like that, right. we know, like, okay, what was going on in the culture? So right, right, sense. right. But when it seems more straightforward, we tend to skip that mm. and we jump straight to personal application. Of my right. Life. Yeah. You know, yeah. as opposed to asking, and and like especially when Peter starts talking about the household mm. and wives do this, husbands do this, slaves, slaves do, do this. this right. Before before you start thinking about what that looks like today, you have to ask, what did that look like in a Roman household? Exactly. What yeah. was different with Roman exactly. households? How and what was what were the idolatries and what were the issues that were trying to be addressed exactly. there? Exactly. Exactly. Before we start doing I, today, I think one of the one of the things too that people pull out of First Peter a lot and they just kind of all of a sudden apply it is the whole. Be ready to give an offense. Yeah, you know, defense, defense of your yeah defense of your faith, faith essentially mm-hmm. for the hope that you have. And it's like, well, you extract that, once again, of the occasional nature of this, written to people that are facing immense suffering and right. persecution. Right. And the reason why that's in there is because these people are supposed to be living in such a way in the midst of severe persecution right. that people are asking them, like, what in the heck is going on with you? Like, yeah. how are you responding to that? And yeah. so we extract it out of the occasional nature, the context, and now all of a sudden we got... Well, this is why we need to do apologetics. This right, is why we need to go right. up to people on the street and tell them that, you know, yeah. this is what we believe. Like, no one's asking you, right. but you, you're <laughs> applying this to your life and saying, oh, well, I need to, I need to tell people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to know why I believe what I believe? No, yeah. I'm shopping for groceries. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, that, and, yeah. and I will say, it's yeah. good to be able to give agreed there's implications there there are implications there yeah Yeah, like that's just something that people extract completely out of the epistle and all of a sudden it's like well i'm gonna tell all these people (laughs) um and and i've seen that that verse just you know absolutely and and again we're not like hating on evangelism no i don't hear that but uh if you haven't met someone like this or like me i used to be like this (laughs) where like you learn some apologetics which is uh uh, if you guys aren't familiar, it's a defense of the faith. So, like, reasons for the existence of God or, or why we can trust the Bible. You know, s- answering skeptics' questions, um, that can kind of take a life of its own sometimes. Where yeah. Instead of, um, in the context of, like, you're living in relationship with people and they're asking you, hey, man, I know you're a Christian, but the Bible says this and I really can't. You know, that's a, a great application of apologetics. Exactly. But not going around trying to pick fights with people. Right, right. And I, that, unfortunately, that is the way I've seen that done. From my experience, I feel like relationship is key here. And I think that's what the Bible, like, kind of instructs us to do, right? Mm-hmm. To build relationships, not necessarily to win arguments. Yeah, and treat people like people, not yeah. projects. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh... John, can you kind of just fill us in? Why did Peter write this epistle? Yeah, so piggybacking off what AC already said, um, you know, the Gentile Christians that have been grafted into the people of God Mm. um, are now facing horrendous persecution, both in the household, in the public square. These are Gentile Christians that are in that are scattered across Asia Minor. Mm. Uh, most people have no idea where that is. Um, <laughs> that is modern day Turkey, and so that's where this epistle is being generated to multiple places and multiple communities of Gentile Christians that are suffering. And really, what Peter's doing is he is encouraging them. This, this mm. is this is an encouragement. Uh, in the midst of horrific uh, persecution, specifically to encourage them of the future hope, specifically to encourage them of their new identity in Christ, Mm. being grafted into the people of God, um, and what a great privilege that is to share 
in essentially being grafted into the people of God like in the Old Testament. And so um, one of the important things here is that the Gentile Christians not only needed to be reminded of their new identity as God's people um, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, but also Peter is calling them to live and behave in such a way that is attractive to the watching world in the midst of the opposition and suffering that they're facing. Hmm. And so this wow. is... The, there's a huge, and we're gonna we're gonna get here in future questions, but there's a huge yeah. thrust. Yeah. One of the most one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is is from Exodus, and it's Exodus nineteen five and six, and um, that is God telling the nation of Israel before giving them the law, um, He's telling them, uh, "I have chosen you. You're mm. my chosen people, a right. treasured possession. Um, you are a kingdom of priests." priests mediate blessing to the nations and so God's saying I've chosen you so that you would be a blessing and mediate my blessing to the nations and that you're supposed to be set apart and be holy and so we see this um, and obviously the set apart and be holy is to be this distinctly different attractive people in the midst of the ancient Near East and now we see in first Peter that Peter's actually writing the exact same thing to these Gentile Christians mm. in uh chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 and so he calls them uh, a chosen people a royal priesthood and a holy nation and so really what peter is doing here and why he's writing this letter is is to encourage them to remind them of their identity right. and that their identity is missional that they are supposed to be a blessing and that they can be a blessing and essentially be attractive to the watching world as they face this opposition and there's so many implications in there what you said for us i mean if we want to you know, if we have that tendency of like, how does this apply to us? I mean, there's just so much mm -hmm. we can just get out of that and uh, apply in our own context. And I think too, to say, to, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts yeah. on this, but you hear a lot that there, like a lot of people will think that, that God's mission started in, the, in Acts, right? Mm -hmm. After Pentecost. But what we see here, even by Peter utilizing this from the book of Exodus, yeah we see that there's continuity in God's mission right. from yeah. the Old Testament Definitely. Israel and also the New Testament people of God, the church. And so that there's continuity. There's not discontinuity there right. in God's mission. And so yeah. um, I think that that's, that's huge for us to understand. Yeah, it's not just, you know, once Jesus uh, uh, ascended, that that's when the mission started. It's been a continual story, right, yeah. from the fall of man. And, like, yeah. Yeah. and that's encouraging yeah. to hear. Uh, I think it was... Isaiah Thomas, mm. um, basketball player who plays for the Celtics, unfortunately. I was going to say, which which Isaiah Thomas are we talking about? Yeah, the, one, the one who plays for the Celtics. Yes. Yeah. He talked about, I believe it was him, when he walked into the uh, training facility for the Boston Celtics and saw all of the history, mm. all of the championships, all of the legacy mm. that... The sons didn't have. Yes, that, <laughs> Ouch. that it like that hurts me. It put like this sense of uh, purpose and like a sense of connection, right? And and and, and it just like uh, it it motivated him to be a better basketball player. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I'm I am like carrying on the legacy exactly of the Celtics, which mm -hmm. I wish he wouldn't as a Lakers fan. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's the same thing, man. When, yeah. when you hear like, you think like, oh, my life and I'm struggling with this and that. But when you think of it like, no, like I'm walking in the footsteps of the prophets and the people of God mm -hmm. who came before me, you know. 
um, I'm not in this alone. Right, right. We are carrying on the mission. Yeah. Right. So, um, AC, how would you summarize this book? Give us some structure and just some, I guess, the layout. Yeah. So uh, instead of doing like a chapter by chapter, yeah. I'll just kind of do like an overall thrust. We know you can. We know you can do that. We know. We know you're <laughs> a biblical. We know we have a biblical scholar in our midst, but <laughs> just give us the overall thrust of what's uh, going on. So he opens by greeting God's people as chosen and exile. Mm. Um, and so what he's trying to do is using these Old Testament descriptions of Abraham and Israel. They mm. were the chosen. They were exiles. They were wanderers. Um, they were misunderstood, mistreated um, mm. as they wandered through the land. Um, and so, too, the people of God now are, uh, or the audience then, the way that they're experiencing is they're exiles wandering right. through. It's a, it's a hostile culture. Yeah. But he, like John said, Peter is reemphasizing to them that they have a new identity, a new family, and a new hope centered around Christ, uh, and that suffering can actually be a purifying fire that can deepen mm. our faith. And he uses a lot of Old Testament images for the Gentile Christians. Um, John talked about the biggest one about the kingdom of priests, the royal priesthood. He also uses stuff like uh, references to wandering in the wilderness, uh, references to the Exover, the Passover, uh, New Covenant, gird your loins. All these are phrases from the Old Testament. And what he's trying to do, like we talked about, is establish that continuity. Hmm. And when that continuity is established, that you are the people of God and the people of God have been a minority and have been suffering and have been on mission for centuries, it places their suffering in a new light. So now they're part of something that's bigger than themselves. Hmm. Um, and it's something that can come at a great cost too. So their persecution can actually work for good hmm. in the sense that it purifies their faith, it deepens their faith, and it makes them more like Christ. And also it, 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 it has this sense of like, um, it pushes you toward holiness which is another strong theme that Peter is trying to do mm. and, and exhort them to be holy. And there's this connection between suffering and holiness. Because mm. if you're holy, if you're being set apart and you're resisting the idolatries of the culture, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be suffering. And so if you respond to that suffering by being faithful, it's going to make you more holy. Right. So it's this, like, it's this symbiotic relationship between holiness and suffering. And so he's encouraging them to view suffering in that light, not in the light of, my life might be over soon, or I'm losing this. I have lost loved ones. Or I'm you cursed. Know? God doesn't love me. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. God, like Jesus just left us. Right, here, right, right. Uh, to be killed uh, like animals. Um, and then because their suffering can be viewed in a, in a different light, um, they can be on mission and they can, uh, their relationship with the government doesn't necessarily have to be one of like revolution and rebellion and violent overthrow, but actually he tells them to submit to right. the government. How do you do that? If the government yeah. is killing me, how do I submit to them? Mm. You know, why not just like grab grab the gats and go? You <laughs> know, but no, no, why? And Peter uses the argument of how Christ suffered to bring glory. Right. And it's interesting that when Peter refers to the cross and he refers to the death of Christ, he uses the word suffering. Hmm. He doesn't say Christ's death. He say, look at how Christ suffered on the cross. Mm, you know, so yeah. it brings in that nuance of like, you know, I, I was wondering about this the other day too. Like, why is such an emphasis on blood? Blood, 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 blood. Why not just say he died? Mm. And it's because like 
It was an excruciating death. Right. It was suffering. Right. He didn't just pass away in his sleep yeah. for our sins. And he, it, it, it didn't look exactly like the neat cross we see sometimes hanging up. You know, like right. this crucifixion was, was a truly a, horrific thing. A, ugly, a, a horrific yeah, way yeah, to go. Ugly yeah. and hard yeah. and also part of our calling. Mm. Um, and then he goes on to tell them that your true enemy, therefore, is not political. It's not cultural. It's spiritual. Mm. And he, he warns them to to remain steadfast in the faith and to resist the true enemy who is Satan. And he tells them, knowing that your sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And that's so good to hear that like yeah. what you're going through, you're not alone. Right. You know, if right. you're going through divorce, uh, an abortion, you know, a breakup, uh, job stuff, financial stuff, yeah. health stuff, whatever it is, man, like you're not alone. The people of God are going through it now and we have been going through it and our enemy will be uh, destroyed and that's the last thing I'm going to say about it is that Peter points to a future hope he uses the image of baptism and he uses this weird passage that people have interpreted all kinds of different ways but the basic thrust about Noah when he compares to Noah is that Noah was saved through water and mm. so in the same sense like we're saved through water not that baptism is like this thing that gets you into heaven yeah but that it's a symbol of the identification with Christ that does save us so just in the same way that we go under the water Christ was buried underground, right. and then when we come up out of the water, Christ came out of the ground exactly. and was risen and lives in the power of the resurrected life. And so, too, we have that hope of the resurrection, and that'll give us the power to imitate Christ and be holy and live on mission. AC, I'm glad you. I'm glad you just hit on that on baptism because I think a lot of people read that, yeah, and they're like, "Wait, I thought you. I thought baptism didn't save you, right? You know, and right. Then like." So I'm glad you just unpacked that because I think it's really important. A lot of people as we're reading through True Story Project are probably like, yeah. whoa, hang on. What, baptism? The water of baptism saves us? Right, 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 so right. That's good, man. It's so easy to get caught in those weeds of like, mm -hmm. you know, not, you know, getting caught in those specific things rather than like seeing what Peter's actually saying and the symbolism he's using. So right. that's great. Um, John, can you kind of touch on some, what are some helpful reading strategies as we're going through First Peter? Yeah, so there, there's a... Uh, Man, for reading First Peter, there's a few really helpful reading strategies. One, I would encourage you guys to read the whole book in one sitting mm. and do it multiple it's a short times. Book, yeah, you, you can probably read the book in 20 minutes, but that's going to help you understand uh, really what Peter's doing here. You're going to start to see, you know, in the beginning the new identity. You're going to see the call to holiness for the purpose of being a, an attractive community. This missional people that we're talking about. You're going to see in there the household codes. You're going to see in there the call to suffer. You're going to see in there, um, there there's stuff for the church and elders in there. And then you're going to see also the, the spiritual warfare um, about about Satan. Um, and so you'll, you'll really see that thread. And so it's really helpful if you read the whole book because hmm. um, you can really start to also draw out themes. Um, as you read the entire letter of um, First Peter, and so there's two there's two prominent themes when you're reading to look for. We've already hit them, mm. but um, just to say again, there's a theme of suffering that is woven throughout the entire letter. Actually, even the 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 language that we are called to suffer. So there's actually a call for Christians to suffer, mm. um, which makes us uncomfortable. Definitely, but we follow a, a suffering Savior right. who, who suffered, and so. Um, so yeah, there's the call to suffer, that's a theme. And then also another theme is holiness, which we've hit on. But it's not just a bunch of rules. A lot of people read read the New Testament and they see a whole bunch of rules. Right. 
there is a purpose for our personal holiness. Not only that we would be conformed in the image of Christ, but it's for the purpose of mission. And so you see throughout the entire letter that there's a call to holiness for the purpose of mission, mm. um, and that's woven throughout the letter. The other thing is you want to search for key terms. Um, that's something huge to draw out as well. Um, search for key terms. Um, and then the other thing is I would say search for so that mm. or that because that's a purpose statement. And so anytime you're reading the Bible, when we're saying, hey, there's holiness for a purpose, if you read often the call to holiness or the call to a certain sort of behavior and action, it's followed by a so that or mm. a that in the letter. And so that means, hey, live this way for a purpose. Right, um, right. And so that's huge. And so, you know, you can go through and underline so that or that, but they're all through um, the letter. And then um, really two other things. One would be to uh, study Peter's emphasis on conduct. Um, and then the other one would be to slow down and study the Roman household um, and also kind of so the, important. the codes there. Yeah. Um, in contrast to our culture, because that's a huge one. You get into wives and husbands and slaves and, the household, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. slaves and you start touching some pretty, um, if you just bring it into our context, all of a sudden it can look like, hey, this dude's condoning slavery. Right, um, right, right. Or the oppression of women. or Yeah, women, yeah, yeah. You know, which is, yeah, which is yeah. just not the case. And right. so yeah. really what you got to do, and we've already hit it um, earlier, AC did a really good job of talking about the importance of understanding the context. What is going on in Asia Minor? We don't live in Asia Minor. <laughs> we didn't live thousands of years ago. So what's going on in those household codes, and especially for Rome? Um, and, and that in the Roman context, that's huge. So good, yeah. And and that that last piece, like I know John just spoke about it so well, but yeah, understanding the Roman household is really key to all this, and key to just getting away from all those misinterpretations, and then also realizing how controversial and revolutionary some of the things that Paul and uh, Peter were saying. Yeah, and, and and I know how this sounds to some of y'all. I I think I can safely assume that some people listening may think, yeah, but I'm not a scholar, man. Yeah. I'm not trying to study Roman history to read the Bible. Like, you know, I already have, I have a wife, I have kids, I have a yeah, husband. Yeah, I don't have you time for I mean? that. Like, I yeah. time, I, like, it's already a challenge for me to read the Bible every day. Right. Um, and now you're trying to add all these, like, study things, too. Um, but here's the thing I would say is that um, number one is don't feel like the burden that you have to be an expert and a scholar, number one. Uh, number two, there are helpful tools right. that yeah. that will help you, like uh, introductions to a lot of commentaries. Mm. Not all of them, but some of them are really good in recreating the culture. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean, and I don't advocate like uh, read an entire commentary of a book before you read the book. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the exposition part of the commentary, but the introduction parts of commentary is very valuable. Bible project videos, they're usually seven or eight minutes long. They're so really rich helpful. though so rich yeah so much yeah, information so in there yeah and, so and, good and there's these there's these bible dictionaries called the ivp bible dictionaries um there's a set of them if you buy one at a time and you read like one or two articles a week yeah it'll take you five minutes 10 15 minutes but imagine if you read one or two articles let's say you read two articles a week for 20 years man you yeah, know, that's that's a lot of articles, and that's a gradual accumulation of this type of background knowledge. Right, it's not an overnight like study cram session. Yeah, just yeah. 
piece by piece putting it yeah and I, I, yeah i'm sorry I, I, go, no, no, go ahead. yeah you know i i think it's it's worth it too like like we've been talking about the true story project it's been a slow reading through the scripture you know we're not asking you to read tons of scripture every day piece yeah. by piece and if we take that same approach throughout our life you know you, you you definitely won't be expected to know the complete history of the church and all the concepts that was going on at the time but piece by piece you know a little diligence and discipline into just sticking with it and and kind of doing the extra legwork will help you to have a better grasp of yeah and as a of, community of scripture, yeah we want to lift it, man, because right. right now Phoenix is in the top 10 cities of like the most biblically illiterate cities. Wow. You know, so wow. if we you, know it's not because AC lives here. <laughs> <laughs> we want to raise that, man. We want to be a contrast community. We want to raise our biblical literacy. Yeah. I, I think one other resource just to throw in there yeah. um, is if you guys don't have a good study Bible, mm-hmm. a good study Bible, there's two that we would recommend. We obviously use the ESV at Redemption. The right. ESV study Bible yeah, it's is great. phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You're, gonna, you're not going to get in-depth uh, background, but you're at least going to get context yeah. on some of this stuff. The other one is a different translation. It's an NIV, NIV. but yeah. the NIV Zondervan study Bible. Um, it's got to be the Zondervan one, though. Um, that is a really, really good study Bible as well. Both of those um, are, are going to be great introductions on top of Bible Project videos and the other stuff. It's, it's really accessible. Um, so that's going to help help you uh, navigate this. And stuff. both of those resources are actually available at Redemption. Um, so, you know, if you're really interested in that, you can get with John or myself or AC and I think we can lead you in the right direction to obtain one of those Mm -hmm. Um, so we're going to finish off with some implications I know we kind of touched on this throughout the podcast but AC can you just lay out some clear implications that uh, I guess we can take from John yeah so um, we would be if if Redemption Tempe if we embodied 1st Peter we would be a subversive community Hmm. If you're around Jim Mullins long enough, you'll hear that word a lot, subversive. Subversive, it's one of his favorite yeah. words. As long cultivate, as flourish. Cultivate, imagine. <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Those are his favorite <laughs> words. Uh, <laughs> but uh, subversive, uh, what does it mean? It sounds really like good and theological, but it means to like undermine the power, authority, or influence of something. Hmm. And so as a subversive community, cultures are formed around shared beliefs. Hmm. And... Typically, what happens in culture is a lot of those beliefs are idolatrous. Um, so, in other words, like for example, um, Western culture, you know, we believe in general that humanity, that people should be free to do what they want as long as they don't hurt other people. Right. And that the right. highest form of life is like self actualization, individual expression. Yeah. Those are like common, and those are the things that bind us together as Westerners. And that make Easterners look at as funny, you know. Um, so cultures have these shared beliefs; they're often idolatrous. And our, one of our roles as a contrast community is to undermine some of the idolatrous influence of the culture. And we can do that in a few ways. One is through suffering. Now, this doesn't mean like go out and find someone to beat you up, you know, <laughs> like make stupid decisions so life is harder on you. Yeah, man, I'm suffering. Yeah, uh, no, or, or be abrasive. Yes. Like, there's a difference yeah. between, like, being persecuted and being a jerk. Right. You know? Right. Uh, one right. of my old Bible college teachers tells a story of, like, when he, uh, he was young and he was in Bible college, there was this one girl who would ride the same bus home as him, uh-huh. and she'd be on the bus, and she'd be yelling at him, Hey, brother! Praise the Lord! And then just using all these Christianese phrases, but yelling across the bus, 
and people would like look at her, they'd talk about her, right. and they'd mumble under her breath, and then later on she'd tell them like, oh, they're persecuting me, brother. And she's like, he's like, no, you're being a jerk on the bus. Like you're yelling <laughs> in people's ears across the bus. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, like suffering doesn't mean like go out and be obnoxious. Right, And right. then when people, you know, treat you like a jerk, you're like, oh, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> no, but really it's a call to faithful obedience. We should always live in this tension in this gray area, our culture, because we want to affirm the things that are good, like social media. Social media is a good thing. Mm. It, do, it has a lot of good things that it can do. There's also a lot of bad things it can do. Yeah. So how do we use social media in a way that, um, that glorifies God? And then sometimes you could use social media in that way, and people could push back against that. Right. You know? Right. Um, so suffering comes when we're being holy when we're being faithful and we're pushing back against the idols of the culture, um, be faithful, uh, be committed, um, subversive, not just through suffering, but also through through the Christian home. Um, Peter emphasizes the home, and it's easy to see the problems of the Roman household. They had the patriarch, and basically the man was in charge, even in charge of religion. So if he converted, the whole household was right. forced to convert. Yeah. You know, so he had like the power of life and death literally over every other member of the household. And so Peter then tells those men, Hey, treat your wife right or God won't listen to your prayers. Wow. You know? Yeah. So it's like, hey, don't be a patriarch who exercises the power of life. In other words, don't be a typical Roman family. You know, be a subversive family. You know, he's not saying change the structure of the household completely, but change how each member of the household lives. And what he calls them to is love, hmm. is love. And the idea is in the home is when relationships are formed, is when you learn how to relate to other people. Right. And if in the home, each member of the household is going by the law of love, is committed to loving and learns that and then goes out into the world and loves, and even with government, submitting to government, loving those who are in power, and things like that. That's what brings people together. Right. That's what creates a flourishing society. That's what brings justice. And that is what helps us fulfill our calling as this royal priesthood. Um, and then it goes on to our public life as well. I would say um, something that I tell myself all the time, because Peter's put such an emphasis on conduct, such an emphasis on conduct. Yeah. One of the things I always tell myself personally is, AC, this is the gospel that you preach with your words. When you lead a Bible study, you get on the podcast. Yeah. But what message what are, you, are you preaching with your life? With your day-to-day yeah. life. What, yeah. And so that's mm-hmm. a question. And that's the last thing I'll leave. It. It's just, what message are you preaching to the outside world with your life? If you're comfortable and you never have friction with non-believers and you never experience some type of like conflict right. or tension, you're probably not being faithful and obedient. Yeah. And you're probably preaching the same message that the culture is preaching. Whew. I think AC just dropped a, a bomb. In, <laughs> no, no, but it, it, it's so true. And it's really just a challenge to all of us to, to consider, you know, how we are operating in all spheres of our lives, right? Like if we're just looking for the easy path to being a Christian, maybe just hanging around Christian people and um, completely treating how we work and or how we spend our leisure time and completely separating it from faith. Like, you know, we're, we're truly doing a disservice to ourselves and to our, into the mission. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, definitely very convicting and, and challenging for us all. Um, John, any final thoughts? I think the, the conduct that AC just hit on, yeah. um, 
like the conduct is what makes us attractive. Yeah. Like what we believe is one thing, mm. right? Um, but the way that we live, our conduct is what the watching world is looking at. Right. And so if our conduct does not align with what we say we believe, it's not attractive to the watching world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the pitfalls of that a lot of times where, you know, Christians, obviously we're, we're, we're still we will make mistakes, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of times when maybe people who are uh, uh, more visible, who are proclaimed faith have fallen, it's like, oh, look, you see, you say all this, yeah. but you did this, right? So it the, the world is watching, Yeah. right? So how are we going to uh, uh, be a witness? And how you respond to your yeah. failures? Because like you right. said, everybody makes mistakes. Exactly. And how yeah. do we respond? Like yeah, Tyler Johnson said, when he came and preached at a church last time, he said that, when we talk through Titus, mm. that leaders lead through repentance. Mm. Yeah, yeah, leaders are lead repenters. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. So definitely a lot of great implica- implications for us to uh, 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 just challenge ourselves with and to consider, you know, as we as we live on a day to day basis. And uh, you know, I just want to thank John and AC for their contributions yeah. here today. Thank you guys for listening. We're nearing the end. Wrapping it up actually next time with Revelation and the final podcast of the True Story Podcast, a True Story Project. But these are always available for you to go back, and um, I hope this would not just be a one time endeavor, right? It's a lifetime endeavor. So until then, um, John AC, thank you. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys later.